Hello, and welcome to the ProCE and Clinical Care Options Infectious Diseases Podcast. I'm your host, Kim Neely. In this episode from a three podcast series, Dr. Christina Madison, founder and CEO of the Public Health Pharmacist and Clinical Pharmacist in Las Vegas, Nevada, and Dr. Mary Bridgman from the Ernest Mario School of Pharmacy at Rutgers, the State University of New Jersey, will share their insights on the latest developments in emerging research in RSV vaccinations for adults. Join to hear key information on the two available vaccines, evidence-based recommendations on their use, and more. To follow along with the accompanying slide set, please visit the link in the show notes for this episode. Now, let's get started and hear what Dr. Madison has to say about RSV vaccines. Wonderful, thank you so much. So what are some of the lights on the horizon as far as the development of RSV vaccinations? Some strategies for RSV prevention So we know that this is a respiratory illness often spread very quickly in just during public activities. When we think about how we can prevent these things, we want to think about good public health preventative strategies. So that includes things like good hand hygiene, enhanced cleaning, cleaning down frequently touched surfaces, and then either one or two-way masking. And then really when worn correctly, Masks do an excellent job of preventing respiratory illnesses. We talk about wearing masks and the efficacy of wearing masks. There's several different masks that can be worn. Obviously, during the pandemic, we did have a bit of a shortage of PPE. And so at one time, we were stating that uh, individuals could wear a cloth mask. At this time, um, because we do have abundant supply, We are recommending that people wear at least a surgical mask, if not a KN95. And then for those of us who work in the healthcare field and can be fitted properly, we can wear uh, an N95, which provides the highest level of protection. And the key here is making sure that it is a very well-fitted mask. So making sure that it fits well over your nose and mouth and that the ear straps are firm against your ears. So you can do that by either tying it uh, in a loop or uh, using some adjustable attachments to make sure that it's closely fitting across the ear. Uh, And then just a friendly reminder that we do not currently recommend masks for children under the age of two and or in outdoor spaces. So when we look at preventing transmission in healthcare settings, again, talking about the role of these public health precautions, we wanna make sure that we're following uh, infection prevention protocols and particularly in hospitals and making sure that those are enforced due to the fact that we know that nosocomial infections are often highest during the fall and winter months, which increases the risk of transmission of respiratory pathogens within patients, but also from providers to patients in that setting. So incorporating prevention measures that can decrease the risk of infection is really important and making sure that everyone is on board with these infection prevention programs and that they're maintained and all employees um, are regularly reviewing those protocols. And uh, again, we know that COVID-19 is here to stay. It's not going anywhere. It's on the rise. And we've seen an uptick in hospitalizations, which means that other respiratory pathogens may be coming into play as well. So we wanna make sure that we're offering preventative care measures such as vaccinations at the time of discharge and developing and implementing strategies to reduce risk of transmission. 
As far as our mechanism of action of the vaccines that we have in development, there's several different things that we're targeting as far as options for inducing an immune response. Vaccines and therapeutic candidates have a variety of mechanisms. Obviously, vaccination is preferred because we want to prevent disease before someone has it, but we do have therapeutic options that can be used as well. Both involve the use of a perfusion glycoprotein and neutralizing antibodies, and the delivery systems uh, include things such as injections, uh, intranasal attenuated live vaccines with or without an adjuvant which helps to boost the activity of the vaccination. Most of our formulations are monovalent and we have one bivalent vaccine that is in development. Going through our different vaccine types, just to clarify here what we're talking about, we've got three major types of vaccines that we're using. So we're all familiar with the mRNA platform because that's what we use primarily for COVID-19 and was novel at the time. And this is designed to make proteins that trigger an immune response. So no active vector that's included in the vaccination. So there's no piece of the, the virus or bacteria in this instance. And then we have the viral vector based, um, which uses a modified version of the virus in order to trigger the immune response, but it is blunted and muted and it cannot harm the person. And then we have our subunit recombinant polysaccharide and conjugate versions of the vaccination, which can be used. Um, by having small pieces of the virus to promote strong um, immunity um, in response to a specific protein that is on the virus. So we currently have two vaccinations that are FDA approved for RSV and older adults. Both are recombinant vaccinations directed at that F glycoprotein that we discussed earlier. This F protein on the viral membrane is used for penetration into human cells and to spread cell to cell from the virus. So we've got two different formulations. One is the vaccine from Pfizer. This is the bivalent F protein. It's a single 0.5 ml IM or intramuscular dose, which is administered to individuals 60 years and older. And then we have the GSK vaccination, which is adjuvanted with AS01, and that is a single dose 0.5 ml intramuscular injection, also approved for individuals aged 60 years and up. Again, really the big difference is gonna be one is adjuvanted and one is bivalent. So the Pfizer product is going to be the RSV pre-F and the adjuvanted GSK is the RSV pre-F3. So moving on to efficacy and safety. So our Pfizer product or RSV pre-F in older adults, this was seen to prevent RSV and lower respiratory tract infection and lower respiratory tract disease in adults aged 60 years and up as compared to placebo and was found to be 85.7% efficacy. So, and at this point, there was no evident safety concerns and the serious adverse events were very similar to placebo. Common adverse effects that were seen were things like headache, fatigue, myalgia, arthralgias, fever, and injection site reaction or injection site pain. And again, um, no clinically significant um, adverse reactions were seen. As far as our GSK product, um, very similar efficacy to the Pfizer product, which is listed here. So we see it was also compared against placebo and was found to be 82.6% efficacious with mild adverse events 
that were seen to be transient and similar to what was seen at placebo. One thing of note is that we did see a grade three level adverse reaction, which is clinically significant, but not life-threatening in about 1.4% of patients as compared to placebo. And again, very similarly to the other vaccination, headache, fatigue, myalgia, arthralgia, fever, and injection sites were seen, but to a much higher degree than we saw with the previous vaccination. As far as storage and administration and how these vaccines are administered, they're both formulated in a single dose file and should be stored at refrigeration temperature. Um, they do require reconstitution with the powder that comes with the supplied liquid. So both are required in order for the vaccine to be fully efficacious. So you can't use sterile water. You can't use, um, you know, water for dilution. Um, this must be used with the product that comes with the vaccine. As far as co-administration with things like influenza, because we are currently in influenza season, um, which very much aligns with RSV season oftentimes, even though things have been slightly different now that we've got COVID in the mix, um, we see that the Pfizer formulation co-administration with influenza was found to be fine, no issues there. However, we did see a little bit of a lower and tighter effect for influenza A, H3N2, when co-administered with the GSK formulation of the RSV vaccine. As far as co-administration with other vaccinations, we do have limited data. However, at this point, we are saying that is acceptable um, due to the fact that we don't want to have a missed opportunity to vaccinate. So this is what's really on the horizon, which is so incredible to me that we've got so many different vaccinations in the pipeline and in development for RSV because we, up until this year, had zero vaccinations for RSV. So it's pretty exciting to see all of these new formulations that are either in phase one or phase two trials. And again, very similarly to what we talked about before, We've got a couple of different versions of vaccines that are being looked at. So our live attenuated chimeric vaccination, which will most likely be in a nasal spray version of the vaccination. We also see an intradermal formulation that is being looked at as well. And a protein-based, including adjuvant, targeting that, again, that F-glycoprotein. A nucleic acid-based, which would be our mRNA version of the vaccine and then our viral vector vaccines, which are being looked at in healthy adults as well as older adults. So as of right now, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention has decided to keep RSV at a shared clinical decision-making tool. So basically what that means is that it's not routine and recommended. So we will definitely talk about why that is and why the ACIP or the Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices chose to do that. As far as why this is different, really what it's telling us is that there's no true default and that we target an age group, but that age group needs to have something else going on in order for us to, you know, give them the vaccination. And that should be done between the healthcare provider and the patient and really determining whether or not this is something that we can do based on that person's chronic medical conditions, their overall health picture and whether or not it's best for that patient. All right, so at this time, I'm gonna go ahead and turn it back over to my esteemed colleague. We will talk a little bit more about shared clinical decision-making, but what I'll emphasize at this point is that shared clinical decision-making 
uh, really allows healthcare providers to consider uh, patient-specific factors, to really engage in a discussion and a conversation and answer patient-specific questions. And if we think about some of that autonomy and, and clinical decision-making here as a healthcare professional, um, I think it's prudent to really consider which patients do you want to have the discussion about RSV vaccination or, or who should you discuss this with. Some individuals as a routine element of practice will recommend uh, RSV vaccine uh, for you know, those who've got specific factors or perhaps advocate for discussion with anyone age 60 and older. But I think it's really prudent to consider the risk factors for severe RSV. Individuals, of course, with chronic medical conditions such as underlying uh, lung disease, COPD or asthma, those with cardiovascular diseases, as we've already made mention of, congestive heart failure or coronary artery disease, uh, those who've got moderate to severely compromised immunity. And again, those risk factors that we made mention earlier, comorbidities related to diabetes or neurologic or neuromuscular conditions, chronic kidney disease, liver disease, hematologic disorders, um, frailty, and again, other factors that as healthcare professionals uh, may be prudent to consider. When we think about RSV vaccine dosing, according to ACIP recommendations, if we think about vaccine timing, there's only one dose that's recommended for older adults. And optimally, this vaccine should be administered before RSV season. We talked about earlier that the typical RSV seasonality had been disrupted by COVID-19. And although some indicators are pointing to a return to pre-pandemic patterns, I think it's prudent for healthcare providers to monitor data from the CDC with regards to RSV activity in their communities. Healthcare providers for 2023 and the 2024 RSV season should offer RSV vaccination as early as it is available and should continue to offer it to eligible unvaccinated adults into the season. Um, an important question that we'll discuss is co-administration. And at this time, while data are limited, co-administration of these RSV vaccines with other adult vaccinations is acceptable. There are some recommended vaccines that can be co-administered, certainly influenza, but also potentially, again, considering streamlining vaccination with COVID-19, pneumococcal vaccines, Tdap, or shingles accordingly. I certainly think that there's a need to co-administer or the need to co-administer also, we need to use our judgment and really think about this in the presence of, of fairly limited uh, data and experience. It really should be based on an individual's risk of acquiring the vaccine-preventable disease, the reactogenicity profile of that vaccine, and of course, align with patient preference and accessibility uh, to their healthcare provider to receive uh, vaccine services. Some considerations that we can think about based on the upcoming RSV season Certainly, given the variability in previous RSV seasons, we don't necessarily have guidance with consideration for what's the ideal time to necessarily start vaccinating. Where does that leave us as healthcare professionals and how do we meet our patients' needs? Some strategies that can be considered are to offer RSV vaccine as soon as the supply is available and really to consider and continue to offer RSV vaccine, even as the season really comes underway and activity related to RSV incidents and cases takes up in the community. 
really current data at this point. We just don't have the experience of enough seasons of RSV to determine the durability of immunity associated with these vaccinations. Just so that the question to clarify what will be the need for revaccination, I think we will really gain more data with regards to the durability of immunity over the seasons ahead. I'd like to thank Drs. Madison and Burton for that excellent discussion, and thank you to our listeners for joining. As a reminder, to view the slide set for this podcast and to access the full program on frontiers and RSV prevention for older adults, developments, recommendations, and the pharmacist's role, click the links in the show notes for this episode. And be sure to check back regularly for more episodes on important infectious disease topics. Thank you. Thank you.